Welcome to day 29 of the dog days of ice... <laughs> dog days of isotopes? Dog days of podcasting. Sunday, August 29th, 2021. You may hear a little bit of gentle rain behind me. Did you see the movie Martian? I love movies, but I rarely ever see any. But I did see Martian. I kind of remember it. Anyway, Matt Damon gets stuck there on Mars, and one thing he does to get heat and power is he uses a radioisotope thermoelectric generator, or an RTG. What is an RTG? It's a nuclear battery. RTGs were invented in 1954 by Kenneth Jordan and John Burden at the Mound Laboratory in Miamisburg, Ohio. Guess what? I work in Miamisburg, Ohio, about a mile from the former Mound Labs, which was an Atomic Energy Commission, later the Department of Energy, facility for nuclear weapon research during the Cold War, named after a nearby Miamisburg Indian Mound. It's right across the street, actually. It's huge. The laboratory grew out of the World War II-era Dayton Project, a site within the Manhattan Project. The Mound Labs were closed in 2006, but a small museum remains there. I've been to the Mound Labs for their monthly Wednesday evening talks given by scientists, many of them former workers at the Mound, many times. And I was also able to get a rather exclusive tour of the whole place, which was kind of creepy and cool. I could do episodes on the Mound, but I won't. But there are YouTube videos produced by folks there talking about the place and the science done there. Search YouTube for Mound Science and Energy Museum Association. Jordan and Burden were inducted into the Patent and Trademark Office National Inventors Hall of Fame for their development of the RTG. Anyway, they actually used polonium-210 at first, of all things, after we heard about how dangerous it is yesterday. But soon they switched to plutonium-238. In the eventual device, pellets of U-230... I'm sorry, plutonium U... Oh my goodness. Plutonium-238 are put inside a carbon-based housing unit, which transfers heat effectively. An RTG can create energy without moving parts. Plutonium-238 cannot undergo a fission chain reaction, enhancing its safety, but it creates tremendous heat. I've not mentioned this before since it's not been relevant, but radioactive decay can produce heat along with the other decay products. A block of plutonium-238 produces so much heat that it will begin to glow red just from its own radiation. It works 24-7 and creates heat which, if needed, can be converted into energy via a simple thermocouple. By the way, a thermocouple is just a heat measuring device. It's really simple. If you touch two wires together that are at different temperatures, a voltage is created at the interface. Thermocouples may be in ovens and furnaces and other appliances and have actually been known about, about since they were discovered by Thomas Seaback in 1821. You can actually make one from paper clips and a bare copper wire. You can Google how. 
In our plutonium-238 thermocouple, the current can be an effective energy source. The module containing the RTG is built to withstand extreme conditions, easier without moving parts. Uh, this could uh, withstand a launch pad explosion if it's on a rocket, if that were to happen, and also rocket re-entry and the bitter cold. Again, no moving parts to freeze up if it gets cold. RTGs, many originally built at Mound Laboratories, have been and are used on Apollo missions, the Viking lander on Mars, Voyager missions, the Galileo, Galileo mission to Jupiter in 1989, and the Cassini mission to Saturn in 1997, and Mars rovers and satellites to power the guidance systems on those spacecraft and vehicles. In Cassini's case, electrical power for Cassini's science instruments and onboard systems was generated by three RTGs. Also, the spacecraft carried 82 strategically placed radioisotope heater units, which provided focused warmth in the form of one watt of thermal power each using a pencil eraser sized pellet of plutonium dioxide. At the mound, they actually have an RTG to look at, minus the radioactive material, which is pretty cool. I think the one that I saw was about a half meter long, but they can be bigger or smaller. RTGs are usually the most powerful, or I'm sorry, desirable power source for unmaintained situations that need a few hundred watts or less of power for long durations, longer than what can be a uh, too long for fuel cells, batteries, or generators to provide economically, and in places where solar cells are not practicals. RTGs have also been used at uncrewed remote facilities, such as a series of lighthouses built by the Soviet Union inside the Arctic Circle. The lighthouses were not maintained for many years after the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, some of the RTG units disappeared during this time, either by looting or by the natural forces of ice, storm, or sea. In 1996, a project was begun by Russian and international supporters to decommission the RTGs in the lighthouses, and by 2021, all are now removed. More on this later. As of 1992, the U.S. Air Force also used RTGs to power remotely located Arctic equipment, and the U.S. government has used hundreds of such units to power remote stations globally. In the past, small plutonium cells, very small plutonium-238 powered RTGs, were used in implanted heart pacemakers to ensure a very long battery life. The Mound Laboratory Cardiac Pacemaker Program began in June of 1966 when it was recognized that the heat source would not remain intact during cremation. The program was canceled in 1972. As of 2007, about nine were still in use. I suppose it's possible that someone, hear someone hearing this had a relative who had one of those. Wait, who am I kidding? Almost no one listens to this. Anyway, plutonium-238, with a half-life of about 88 years, will lose about 
6% of its power each year. So, for example, the Voyager space, spacecraft, in the year 2000, 23 years after production, the radioactive material inside the RTG had decreased in power by 16.6%. In other words, providing 83.4% of its initial output. Starting with a capacity of 400 and 70 watts by 2000 it would have a capacity of only 392 watts other factors unrelated to rgt rtg power actually degraded that to about 315 watts this is why these spacecraft only last so long the power does slowly degrade ways to boost the power and lifetime are always being investigated Radioactive materials contained in RTGs are dangerous and can even be used for malicious purposes. They are barely useful for a genuine nuclear weapon, but can still serve in a dirty bomb, which I covered in a previous episode. As mentioned, mentioned a few minutes ago, the Soviet Union constructed many uncrewed lighthouses and navigation beacons powered by RTGs using strontium-90. There's strontium-90 again. These are very reliable and provide a steady source of power. Most had no protection, though, not even fences or warning signs. Sounds like Russia, doesn't it? And some of the locations of some of these facilities are no longer known due to poor record keeping. Sheesh. In one instance, the radioactive compartments were opened by a thief. In another case, three woodsmen in Georgia found two ceramic RTG sources that had been stripped of their shielding. Two of them were later hospitalized with severe radiation burns after carrying the sources on their backs. There have been a few accidents, some accidents. Here's a few of them. In 1969, the launch of the first Lunuk Hode, I'm sure I said that wrong, uh, it's, it was their lunar rover. The launch of the first one failed, spreading polonium-210, which is what they were using then, over a large area of Russia. Hmm, that doesn't sound good. The failure of the, the famous failure, or infamous failure, of the Apollo 13 mission in April 1970 meant that the lunar module re-entered the atmosphere carrying an RTG and burned up over Fiji. It survived re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere intact, as it was designed to do, the tra trajectory being arranged so that it would plunge 69 kilometers uh, deep into the Tonga Trench in the Pacific Ocean. The absence of plutonium-238 contamination in atmospheric and seawater sampling confirmed the assumption that the cask is still intact on the seabed. The, t the cask is expected to continue fuel for at least 10 half-lives, 870 years. The U.S. Department of Energy has conducted seawater tests and determined that the graphite casing, which was designed to withstand with re-entry, is stable and no release of plutonium should occur. Subsequent investigations have found no increase in the natural background radiation in the area. The Apollo 3 13 accident represents an extreme scenario because of the high re-entry velocities of the craft. This accident has served to validate the design of later generation RTGs as highly safe. And finally, Mars 96 was launched by Russia in 1996, but failed to leave Earth orbit and re-enter the atmosphere a few hours later. The two RTGs on board 
carried in total 200 grams of plutonium and are assumed to have survived re-entry as they were designed to do. They are thought now to lie somewhere in Chile. Well, that's enough for today. We are nearly done. See you tomorrow.